Welcome to Salt Talks with Randy Marshall and Jim Lutz. Salt Talks, where we discuss topics of everyday life, faith, family, and the workplace. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Lutz, along with author and speaker, Dr. Randy Marshall. Today's topic, your second most important decision, getting married. Randy, first of all, I got to ask, how you doing? And are you well-rested to tackle this topic today because it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And honestly, I feel that marriage is the toughest job you'll ever love to have. I don't think there's any question about it. You know, the first decision is a spiritual one. uh, And that's the most important, obviously, but it bleeds into the second. And that would be uh, the decision to get married. But it occurs to me that we've done 27, 28 podcasts now, and we've never really addressed the issue of dealing with Uh, The folks that are on the outside of marriage at this point, they may have chosen to do that. Uh, They may be going through a divorce and they see their future as somewhat bleak or uh, they are just wanting to know, uh, am I going to get married? And and so we've sort of neglected the single population and that's not right. And so today we're going to be talking about, as you say, a difficult topic on how do you choose someone that's going to be your life partner? You know, I've, I've said many times, Jim, that happy singles make happy marriages. I also do a corollary to that, and that is that marriage will simply reveal who you are in spades. I think we found that out. Uh, but marriage doesn't make you happy. Uh, it's like that old joke, uh, marriage like flies on a window. Uh, those on the outside, one in, those on the inside, one out. Well, the point is that as you reveal who you really are in marriage, it's all based on how you really lived your life as a single. So you and I both know we've been married total, I think, uh, 80 years, uh, 48 for me, 32 for you. Yep. Uh, we're no experts in this deal. Uh, that's for darn sure. Uh, it's still a mystery in many ways. We're constantly learning, uh, asking forgiveness, trying to figure it out. It certainly keeps us humble. Um, but I do think there are some minimum musts for a person to get married. Uh, two of them rush to the mind, and this is a blinding glimpse of the obvious, a mutual faith, and there should, I think, be a romantic attraction, because those are foundational. Without attraction and intimacy in marriage, uh, I think it's going to be painfully underwhelming, uh, but there's got to be an equally yoked idea there that the Bible says that a believer marries a believer, and uh, You know, I think the question I'd ask you before we really kick this off is, uh, what has been the key, in your opinion, and maybe Diane could answer this better, both of you together, uh, what's been the key to your 32 years of marriage? Oh, that's easy. I learned that I'm sorry and you're right goes a long way. There you go. I I figured after about six months, uh, Diane already earned her angel wings and halo. And uh, yeah, I find new ways to get in trouble and I'm always trying to find a better way to dig out of the hole. Yeah, no, I understand that. I think keeping it light is is always a plus. Well, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit in terms of uh, humor, its place in celebration, having fun in the marriage. Um, you know, I counsel differently now uh, for a long time, both as a pastor and someone that dealt in premarital counseling. Um, I would simply uh, almost have a grocery list, but I've discovered that, uh, and this may sound a bit different, that looking back, I wish I'd have done it differently. Um, I think there are at least four probably much more than that, areas to look at 
if you're going to be looking for a spouse, you know, my uncle used to say, Randy, if you're going to get married, you go character shopping. The beauty is skin deep, ugly, goes clean to the bone. We've all heard that. But you know what? That's, that's actually true. Uh, somebody had a message one time on marriage that said, uh, form of rhetorical question, has your twosome gone gruesome? Well, uh, many times it does because marriage is a calculated risk. Still, half the marriages don't make it. So there are no guarantees, particularly when two wills are involved, and we can all go our own independent way. But uh, here's some thoughts. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of these thoughts that tend to dominate uh, my choice in giving counsel now, I think they're extremely important. Um, the first one is um, foundational. Look to the future not the past. You know, as simple as this sounds, you can't undo the past. And what I've discovered is we all have a checkered past. Uh, at some point, we've got skeletons in the closet. Now, you and I both agree, spiritually, a life can be changed. Jesus can change any life. And uh, But what I'm convinced of, Jim, is that a person's past is not as important as their future. Um, someone's life before walking with God or not walking with God is not nearly as important as where they are headed right now. Uh, I ask the question all the time, since you can't change the past, where are you now? What's going on in your life now? And don't be hinged to the past. Uh, don't be continually dominated by it because it simply cannot be changed. Let's move on. And I know you're taking some coaching courses now. The counselor does look at the past, what keeps you stuck, and the coach, as you're finding out, really looks to the future. Well, I think you've got to look to the future to have any marriage that thrives. I'll tell you, Randy, you know that uh, I'm, I'm spending a little time back in my home in Kentucky right now. Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting when I come back here because I look around restaurants and places we go and I look at people and I say, okay, what'd you look like 40 years ago when I got there? And I will yeah. tell you unabashedly, Anybody who was around 40 years ago doesn't look like they did then. No. And we've all changed. And they're probably saying the same thing. And as you said, you know, that we all have skeletons in our closet. And some of the people want to be judged by their intentions, while others, they will judge others by their actions. Mm -hmm. And I think as we go through it, each person defines what their tolerance or acceptable levels may be. I mean, Randy, can you go, you started on this, can you go into some specifics that you have seen and you got a few years on me and so I'm sure you've seen more, but you know, that should be, uh, you know, help us navigate potentially rough waters. Yeah, I think so. I know you have some too. Um, you know, I, I heard early on premarital counseling before uh, I got married to Kathy, it, you know, my, my counselor said, never, <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before. He said, never pray for a perfect mate. I thought, hmm, uh, why not? I kind of like a perfect mate. And he said, well, if she's perfect, she won't need you. And that is absolutely true. Uh, he, he also made this comment. He said, you know, most people are looking for princess and prince. And they look across and they say, yeah, you're my prince. Yeah, you're my princess. He said, what we don't take into account is 40 years later, like you just mentioned, you got a fat lady looking across this, you know, the desk at a, or the, the table at a, at a ball headed man like me. And so you're going, <laughs> because things change. And, you know, um, it, it's like uh, if your future mate, for example, let's take one. If, if, if she had 
in my case as a guy, a sexual history uh, or even a child born out of wedlock. You know, some single guys today, they often write the woman off. And even if they've had a tough past and even, and I've found this to be true as they point the finger, they've got four pointing back at them. They're even guilty of the same path. And yet somehow they write off an otherwise amazing potential for marriage. And uh, I found not all, but I found a lot of Christian guys who say, I'm going to save myself for marriage. Well, that's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, they enter into this marriage a bit judgmental, snobbish, lukewarm, legalistic. And on the other hand, many who have a part of their story, premarital sex, for example, but are now incredibly godly, I will tell you a truth. This is a fact, and this is important. The second person will be a far better spouse than the first one every single time. Uh, I, I think that's what the Bible talks about. Luke 7, 36 through 50, Jesus has this, his feet kissed by uh, this woman of ill repute, anointed a sinful woman, they called her. But she wept in his presence. And Jesus knew all about her past. What did he do? He gladly forgave her. You know, I found that those have the worst past, quote unquote. I found out that uh, life wasn't found out there and they, they knew it. They, they came to their senses, whatever. They make the best spouses. Uh, and unfortunately, we paint a picture in our mind. Uh, we talk about this and we ruminate and we paint a picture. But then we can't erase because you can't erase the past. Uh, but what's interesting is that God says, I remember your sin no more. I cast as far away as the east is from the west. Huh. If God does that to us, then why can't we do it to, to each other? You know, forgiveness is the issue. Uh, it really is. And you know that if you've been married almost 40 years, you know it's forgiveness is the name of the game. Yeah, Randy, you just hit on, you know, two of them that you mentioned on the outset. And that is, as you just mentioned, asking for forgiveness and being humble. And a lot yeah. of times people confuse humility with being meek and weak. And that's the furthest thing when you, you know, when you truly are humble, it's actually from a position of confidence, I think. And, it, and you know, these sound easy, but the truth is they smack right out of motions. And that's where everything, the, you know, upset the apple cart, right. if you will. And we, it causes us to act irrationally sometimes. And some might even perceive it that we're a little unstable because we are that emotional. Well, and thoughts determine emotions. So it's almost like you've got to think correctly. It's stinking thinking uh, because you enter in saying, what are you going to do for me? Well, the fact of the matter is, I don't know how marriage survives. I don't know how any relationship that matters survives without humility and a sense of forgiveness. I really don't. Um, those are, are critical. Uh, and in order to move to the future, you're going to be haunted by the past unless you are able to release that. You're going to be imprisoned by that. So where are you now and where do you want to go in the future? Much, much more important than your past. Frankly, we all have one, but there's a second one. Um, and, and this is what I counsel now for people that are about to get married or they're thinking about it and they've gone through a tough relationship before and look for a potential spouse in the area of self-control. Um, I think that it's the greatest indicator of character, particularly Christian character. 
Because, you know, everybody, as we've mentioned on this show time and time again, slips up. We say something wrong. Um, you have a night or too many drinks, whatever it is. What I'm talking about is not that. I'm talking about a pattern of no self-control across a wide variety of indulgence. That's a red flag. So you think twice about marrying a person who cannot control his tongue or her tongue, appetite, or their sexual desires. There's got to be borders in that. I'll give you an example. I think self-control smacks hard at anger. Um, during engagement, for example, I see a lot of couples, strong dating. There's an awkwardness and tension that's real. That's why I don't go for long engagements. Uh, it's just too tough. It's normal to show annoyance and irritation at times. Uh, overlook it. Uh, do. But if they're raising their voice repeatedly, if they're continually acting out in anger, I mean, let's face it, you and I both know this. Dating is typically where we're on our best behavior. Well, if that's the case and you have a tough time engagement, uh, the gloves are going to come off during marriage. Um, so watch the choice of words that your potential spouse uses. Because if they're using tough language now, it'll only get magnified in marriage. Um, person who struggles in many areas of self-control, I think, is not ready for marriage, uh, pure and simple. So let me ask you this question. Um, I mean, nobody's really ready for marriage in a sense. Um, so my question to you is, did you ever go in to the relationship with Diane and say, you know, she has this problem, but I'm going to fix it? Or did she ever say, well, Jim has this. I really don't like it, but when we get married, love will find a way and we'll fix it. Um, how did you handle that attitude that you're not perfect, but marriage will make it so? Well, I, I think, you know, we all like to look at the best and we believe that we can be a positive influence. I told Diane, we were probably married five or six years at the time. And I said, you know what? I can honestly say, now understand, we were both in our late twenties. So we were a little bit older uh -huh. and, um, you know, what, what they say, it's not my first rodeo, but that doesn't mean I want to saddle up again. You right. know? So, right. <laughs> but, um, I just said, you know, the worst day that we've had since we've been married is still in my mind, better than the best day I had before we were married. So we, uh, you know, and, and we went into this, that divorce was never going to be an option. Good. We discussed that and we said, we're in this, if we're yeah. going to truly do this, we're both going to be committed. And we both, you know, made that promise and vow. And, you know, Randy, as, as we were preparing for this, I started thinking about it, how there is so much similarity in the dating process to the recruiting I used to do for athletes and for jobs. You paint this beautiful picture of the joy and the happiness. They don't mention about problems you know, that are out there. Everything's rosy. You know, I used to tell kids that uh, I hope you are enjoying this now because coaches aren't going to get nicer after you sign with them. <laughs> You're seeing the best and, you know, their reality and they're not going to change for you. You know, they've got a system and they've been successful. That's why you're, you know, considering going there. Well, in the dating world, you know, yeah, you're both trying to put your best foot forward, but you're both kind of going into the unknown. And, yeah, and sure. that's where, uh, you know, we realize that um, the honeymoon period is going to eventually be over. And we discussed, you know, the whole history of honeymoon and that yeah. on a previous show. But it, it's, I think the biggest thing is, 
Is it real? Are they kind, as you said? And, um, you know, you did mention about self-control. Randy, when you were pastoring in that, do you have some kind of cheat sheet that you have hidden away that you could share with us to help us yeah. out? No, I wish I did. Um, you know, I, I found that the thing that would rise to the surface most often was uh, 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 what the Bible calls faithfulness, um, a consistency uh, over a period of time. You know, it's really true, is it not, that uh, your life is really made up of decisions you make every day. Um, and uh, it's like our friend Tim Fitzgerald says, success one day at a time. And it's absolutely true. Um, one of the things that uh, my dad used to say to me, he said, Randy, he said, when you get married, he said, you ask, uh, how many girlfriends does Kathy have? If she has a lot, that's really important. And then he said, and if she asks, how many guy friends does he have? I hope you have a lot because that's really important because a guy cannot fool another guy, but a, <laughs> a guy can get fooled by girls <laughs> and we're doing it all <laughs> the time. So the question is, if you're a loner and you don't have guys, don't have any guy friends and women don't have any girlfriends. I think it's a red flag. I really do. And there's a consistency there that your friends over time are going to see a pattern of your behavior. So yeah, I, I, you know, I do. Every, everybody's an angel until they get their, their feathers ruffled is absolutely true. And dating, you know, everybody's on their best behavior. Boy, you close that door after you say I do. And all of a sudden, those people never leave. They're never, they're always there. Anyway, um, the, there's a third one. Future's more important than the past. Uh, look for somebody that really has a sense of self-control or consistency about their life. There's a third one. Look for a person who walks with God. And you say, well, duh. That's a blinding glimpse of the obvious, of course. But I will tell you, there's a lot of people that date that I have found that when you ask them, is that person really a dedicated believer or walking with Christ? Or is there a track record there of spiritual maturity? They say, oh, they're a Christian. Oh, oh, they love Jesus. Um, they, I saw it on their resume. Or I saw it when I you know, did some online dating. Uh, you know what? Uh, maybe they are. And maybe they're not because I don't buy it unless there's a lifestyle. Just saying it doesn't make it so uh, for a future spouse. And why is this important? Well, again, it's kind of logical. Who you marry will rub off on you big time. Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. It's same true. You're going to be spending the rest of your life with this person. You're going to find out that you become a lot like the other person. Uh, if the person is active in prayer, Bible study, sharing your faith, but your spouse isn't, if you're active in that, your spiritual life will suffer. And I've always said this, men that are spiritual can actually bring up women who are struggling. I found the reverse not so, not so true. I have found that women who are really uh, dedicated and committed and walking with Christ seldom are able to bring up a man to that spiritual level. So at any rate, uh, one wise person said it this way, he said, run after Jesus. As you're running, look, look to your right or look to your left. You keep running and uh, see who's running right beside you. That person could 
be your spouse. Not necessarily, but could be. They qualify. Because I have found that the person that's looking ahead to become more like Christ and focusing on him is the person that you want to consider. Uh, I have a friend that lives in Africa, and, and uh, she said, you know, uh, you can come over here and you can date me. Uh, but if you're coming over here to try to marry me, you might as well stay home because my commitment is to this ministry that eliminated a lot of people anyway. Well, Randy, I, I'm so glad you didn't have a Freudian slip earlier when you were saying she has a lot of girlfriends. And then if you look at the husband, if he has a lot of girlfriends, die friends. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Randy, I guess my grandma was right when she said, you know, show me who their friends are and I will tell you what they are. Sure. And I right. think there's, besides verbiage, language, however you want to say it, you know, actual physical evidence of somebody. Yeah. Do you think there's a common characteristic among believers that I could kind I of, uh, I don't want to say a red flag because that's a negative one, but is, is a, a green light. I'll go with that. Yeah, there's a commonality. And I, I think so. I believe the greatest apologetic for believers and particularly people in marriage is, uh, do they have a spirit of joy? And I am convinced that will draw more people like honey draws somebody, not vinegar. Uh, and it leads me to the fourth one future, not the past. Uh, the whole idea of self-control, uh, look for a person that really is walking with God independent from you. Uh, and not trying to copy you or make impression on you to get your attention. But the, the, the fourth one is look for a joyful person. Um, you know, I think self-pity is a disease, Jim. I do. Uh, people play the victim all the time. Have you noticed? And particularly in this culture, uh, so many people are convinced they deserve better lives. And this is a big one. Self-loathing sucks the joy out of life. It just does. And joy out of yours, uh, theirs and yours, and it becomes a miserable deal. People believe all the time they've been dealt uh, a bad hand of cards. I go along with the, the dad who said to his da daughter when she asked, what's the best advice you can give me prior to marriage? He said, don't let the sorrows of life stop you from rejoicing. I think that advice is golden. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to compare it's easy to have the ER disease, the ER disease. I'm, I'm not as uh, bright, not as smart. That person's smarter, brighter, faster, better, whatever. Uh, but I really think joy comes through the decisions we make. And uh, it's not a matter of circumstances. We can rise above that. You got to choose. Happiness really is a choice. I have seen so many gifted people who fell prey to what you just hit on that they they let life take the living right out of them and mm -hmm. you know they they really they rank right up there with some of those folks that i say they're most happy when they're unhappy yeah. because they can't function when things are going well because they like to be miserable for some perverse reason misery loves company doesn't it they it, it just yep it just draws to uh, you know and and sure they're there are times uh, you're sober and you're sad. Uh, there's family drama. There's, I mean, raising kids, financial struggles. We live in a fallen world that uh, we create a lot of uh, hundreds of enemies trying to, that, that are out there, predators that are trying to kill our joy. Depression is real. Uh, I'm not 
minimizing any of that. Grief is normal. Uh, when it's called for, actually, it's healthy. But there are times to cry out to God. There are times that we need to learn how to suffer well. However, even in the deepest pain, you look up. And Christians have thousands of reasons to rejoice in a God who loves them. So here's the, here's the piece of advice that I think may be the best of all for our entire show today from my standpoint. Marry a person who knows how to celebrate, who energizes you. It's fun to be around, who takes Jesus seriously, but not themselves seriously. I think humor is the key to a thriving marriage. The first time we met, Jim, long time ago, many, many years ago in Dallas, uh, one thing that was attracting attractive to me about your life was how um, lighthearted you were. And the humor that you project has been a real ministry in my life. In tough situations, you'll always see that silver lining. Uh, you have a deep and abiding sense of humor. So I guess the question is, how'd you get it? How do you cultivate it? Where did it come from? And uh, how important has that been to your marriage? As far as the marriage goes, I'm not sure if Diane appreciates my humor. She gives more of the heartfelt eye roll, like, are you serious? Are you kidding? Yeah, that's not funny. So, um, you know, Rand, Sorry, I ask. Yeah. Uh, no, Diane I like knows. It. I enjoy it. Yes, there you go. Uh, no, Diane's incredible. And I mean, she, I will say this, that she probably puts up a lot more than she receives. And we've been blessed to say the least, at least from my perspective. Uh, but I remember um, you had said something a few shows ago, and it truly is surprising. I mean, you already had, have alluded to today, you know, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And it's amazing that you got two people that are, are vastly different that are actually, the, it shows the fallacy in the dating on most people. And it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. And as you beautifully said, we never know when we're at the 50. So you just got to basically yeah. give and, and, you know, sometimes you got to give till it hurts. And when it starts hurting, then you're making an impact and you're making a right. difference. And until you get to that point, I think you got to keep working harder to make it better. I also think that, uh, you know, the, the ability to laugh and laugh at oneself, laugh at life. It's kind of, you know, my friend said, the book I'm going to write is Laugh or Go Insane. Uh, not a bad title, but I think laughter, humor is the oil that runs a machine. Uh, and life can be tough and brittle, uh, but I think laughter, you know, the, the, the word humor means literally uh, water. And water can soothe uh, in a shower and give refreshment in a cold drink. Uh, and I think that's what humor does. Uh, so uh, I. I think that you have a, a, a great view of life, even in the tough times. So well, I, I, I guarantee it rubs off. Well, speaking of water, while you were talking, I just took a, a drink and uh, water rolled down my chin. And my I wanted to outwardly say, yeah, these new lips aren't working too well. I got to keep <laughs> honing them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, as we wrap this up, uh, those are the four factors, I think, that are oftentimes just sort of um, based upon a personality type situation. I'm always amazed when people say, well, we got a divorce because of irreconcilable differences. Are you serious? 
all of us are irreconcilably different, which leads me to my last point. Uh, and this sounds really weird, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think you always marry the wrong person, quote unquote. Uh, if you're worried out there that you're going to marry the wrong person, sure up, you will. And what I mean by that is that about every, you know, when you first you get married, about three months into it, you're going, what have I done? I mean, I just missed it. Lord, what, what, this is not working. And, and the fact of the matter is, uh, it's true because all of us are sinners. We're all messed up and you're going to find fault in every single person. And so marriage just magnifies your self-centeredness. You see the spots, the wrinkles, the scars as you bring it in. And it's two people trying to fight for happiness Okay, keep fighting. Like you said, the best thing you've said in this whole program, Jim, was that Diane and I said at the beginning, divorce is not an option. It's just not an option. Um, murder might be, but divorce is not. <laughs> no, I'm just sort of kidding. Hey, and she'd fall under justifiable, justifiable homicide. Oh, there sure. you go. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, so those those four, I think, are the ones that, that keep me trying to remind myself that as you go into marriage, they're important, but as you stay in a marriage that's thriving, they're still important. Anyway, what we've talked about today, number one, an accurate view of total depravity in all of us, because we all have it. I mean, let's face it, we're not as bad as we could be, but we're certainly not as good as we could be either. Secondly, uh, we need a grasp and understanding of providence and sovereignty that God brought this person across your path. Um, and, uh, there's no accident. Uh, he knew what he was doing. And so, uh, you know, you made that choice and happiness really is a choice. Keep making it. And then, uh, third, we're not so surprised by the weirdness of our mates. <laughs> you know, um, Romans seven, apostle Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do the things I know I should do. I don't do well, welcome to the human race. 7.7 .7 billion people suffer from that. Uh, but this doesn't mean that you have to settle in marriage or have to lower your standards for marriage. These four factors, in addition to be physically attracted to your partner and knowing for certain they're Christians, I think we need to think rationally about our weaknesses and strengths before going in. Uh, my counselor told me, I think he's right, better a broken engagement than a broken marriage. So finally, bottom line, um, you're seeking to get married, seek the advice of a happily married godly couple who's been married 10 years or more. Uh, you say, why 10 years? Well, it's just a track record because past behavior is always the best indicator of future performance. I'll bet they speak of these four factors in some way or the other. Talking about the stability and the joy that can be yours in marriage, even in the desert experiences or the really tough times. Well, Randy, I, I think you've given all of us optimism that uh, we are perfectly imperfect and we're all going to make mistakes. And it's just a matter that saying we're going to, we're going to make these mistakes together. But yep. when we stumble, I'm going to be the one to catch you or I'm going to be the one picking you back up. So right. That's right. It, it truly is a team. But I want to encourage everyone to share this podcast with their family and friends or go to Randy's website, drrandymarshall.pro. D-R-R-A-N-D-Y-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L dot pro. Or if you or your company are interested in doing a podcast and have me as your host, 
or doing a team building seminar workshop, please visit my website at lifecoachgem.pro. You can also get your weekly boost each Monday by liking Randy Salt Talk Facebook page. These are great short reads that continue to help bring perspective to your day. For Dr. Randy Marshall, this is Jim Lute saying stay safe and God bless. And we will see you soon on our next installment of Salt Talks. Mm -hmm.